Disclaimer. The hosts of this podcast, Timothy Patrick and Will Foley, are by no means medical professionals. However, having lived experience with mental illness themselves, they have gained useful perspectives on common mental health issues that some of us struggle to overcome on a daily basis. By sharing their stories, they hope to create connection. By creating connection, they hope to help you find your purpose. And through purpose, we can all begin to build the foundations for positive mental health. This is Above Ground Podcast. Are you ready to lace up your boots, throw up your horns, and jump into the pit? Then let's stomp the stigmas of mental illness. It's time for Above Ground Podcast. Now, Will Foley and Timothy Patrick. What is up, everyone? Welcome to Above Ground Podcast. Above Ground Podcast, because you can't serve below. How we all doing out there? Timmy, you down with TPP? Yeah, you know me. How we doing, Timmy? What's up, Timmy? Timmy, Timmy, Timmy. What's up this week, buddy? I'm just chilling by the fire, you know. I saw that. I love it. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Right. That's what we're doing here. That's right. Not bad, not bad, not bad. I can't really complain too much. Uh, We're on Zoom again, so that means we must be having another real conversation, just like we do here, because that's all we do is real conversations, really. It doesn't matter if it's just us or if we have a guest. Uh, But we are joined this morning by a friend of mine and a friend of of the Capital Region, uh, Dan Egan. Dan Egan is the board president and National Loss and Healing Council member of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Dan, thank you so much for being here with us this morning. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Good to see both of you. Yes, welcome, dude. Um, I I really want our listeners to hear your story and hear how you've gone from from where you uh, grown up to what you've become today as far as being involved in the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and how you became involved and why you became involved and why you continue to stay involved. Absolutely. Um, I lost my dad. It's 30 years ago this past February when I was 19 year old, 19 years old in college. Uh, You know, to say I handled it terribly would be to kind of imply I handled it at all. You know, it's easy at that age to really just kind of stuff things down, like uh, mentally, emotionally, I wasn't in a place to deal with it. My parents had divorced years ago. So dad was in DC. Mom was in Albany, New York area. And I was in college. So, you know, it's kind of easy to go back into that role of, you know, where your parents aren't where you are anyway, to compartmentalize your worlds and just act like everything's okay. Uh, you know, some family members tried to get me to go to counseling, but I just kind of blew it off. Never really went to the counseling center, never really did anything. You know, at times when I was upset, I would self-medicate, usually with alcohol, you know, get past college. Same thing when you get out of school, you know, just started working plugging away at stuff but you know whenever I would self-medicate it was kind of like I was giving myself permission to remember and to be upset you know so fast forward probably a good I don't know two decades oh excuse me it's early I haven't had both my cups of coffee yet you know fast forward two decades and I'm working you know and I work a pretty stressful job and I start to have some serious anxiety attacks you know, at first I thought I was having heart attacks. Like I really thought there was like a, maybe a three month period where I swore to God, I was just going to die. You know, didn't know what was going on. Just my heart would start racing. I couldn't breathe, felt dizzy, felt lightheaded. Uh, you know, did all the medical stuff, went to the cardiologist, etc. Everything was good there. You know, and it turned out to be severe work-related anxiety. You know, and at that point, I kind of got into some of the stuff with the loss of my dad, you know, realized the big thing I was carrying around was a lot of anger. You know, it took me a long time to be willing to say I was angry at him. And, you know, once you kind of deal with that, a lot of stuff comes into perspective. You know, then I reached a point where I thought that the path I had traveled could help other people travel an easier road you know, kind of let people know it's okay to talk about it. You know, you don't have to do this alone. <clears throat> it's not a weight you carry on your own. You know, there are people hey, around who are willing to help. Hey, Dan, I don't mean to interrupt yeah. you right away, but I, I got a quick question off the rip. Um, you had mentioned uh, going to the cardiologist. 
What, what do you know how far into that process or who actually kind of came up with, Hey, you know, it could be anxiety. Uh, it was kind of all along the way. Like every time I would go, they'd be like, yeah, your heart, it's a normal rhythm, you know? And just in my head, I was convinced it couldn't possibly be. Right. But, yeah, but did, it, it, did any of them actually say, you know, this, this is anxiety? Uh, a couple of times, like I would go okay. to the emergency room and I think it was one of the ER doctors who was really like, yeah, I think you're just having a panic attack. Like you're having, I'm like, really repeat. Cause one time, like, you know, I had the heart monitor on and my heart rate went from like 80 to 200 beats. Wow. But it wow. wasn't an abnormal rhythm. It was just boom, took off, you know? So I think just the stress added on to the stress of not knowing what it was. Wow. Okay. So yeah. At the end, uh, it might have been my regular, you know, my uh, primary care doctor at the point who suggested I go see a counselor. Gotcha. Yeah. So it was <clears throat> just a kind of bizarre time. Uh, you know, for a while I was, for some reason, I felt safe at home. Like, you know, whatever was going on couldn't happen while I was in my house. You know, and that's when it started to really settle in that it was kind of a, uh, something going on upstairs, you know, mental health. Gotcha. Wow. Yeah. So eventually um, I just reached a point where, you know, I sought out AFSP to kind of join and see what I could do to help. But, you know, through counseling, you kind of learn how to control it. Like I still have anxiety, still deal with depression, but it's now you recognize the triggers, you recognize it for what it is, you know, kind of know to do some breathing, just get my head in the right spot. Good, good. I can concur with the cardiologist and the ER and everything, because I've been in the ER twi- three times in the last five years with what I thought was a heart attack. And yep. it turned out to be absolute panic attacks. Yep. And they get, and, and unfortunately you are your own worst enemy when it comes to it, because you start thinking you're like, Oh, okay. And especially if you have other stuff that correlates to it also, because I have a lot of upper body pain just because of my neck being in such bad shape that things radiate into that area. And I also have a family, family history of heart problems and, and stuff like that. So you don't know what it is, but you also don't want to think that it's just a panic attack also. It's just like, you're like, no, it's got to be something more. It can't can't just be stress. It can't just be panic. It can't just be anxiety, but. Exactly. And same thing. Like I've had shoulder surgery. So, you know, like I constantly have non-specific chest pains and then, yeah, your mind just kind of takes it and runs with it. It's like, oh my God, this can't just be my shoulder hurts. This can't just be my chest. It's got to be. It's It's the big one, honey. I've got it. Which just feeds into it and, and, you know, makes it worse really. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And it's kind of like one, you know, part of the process with counseling was like, okay, what do you notice first? Is it your heart racing? And I'm like, well, no, I would notice some kind of, you know, like weird feeling or weird pain or you feel flush all of a sudden. And then the heart starts. And it's like, okay, so that's the trigger for the second part of it. Well, what's the actual trigger though? Like what would cause the flushing? It, would there be an emotion? Did you, did you get that deep into it where you noticed a certain emotion or a certain thought would trigger it? Or would it just be like maybe a stressful moment at your gig at the time? Yep. It was mostly like stressful moments. Uh, you know, where we were pretty short. We were running a very, you know, I don't really want to name the company. <laughs> But you were now you were were you in the printing industry at this point? Yeah, yeah. This was in the retail printing industry. Okay. You know, we were probably like two or three people shorter staff than we should have been. Of course. You know, and things would just be crazy. So you just reach that point where there's, you know, people standing right in front of you, phone ringing, machines not working. And you're like, oh my God, I don't, where do I go? What do I do? What do I, you know, right. for like, years that's step? Been, what's yep. the first step? Where do I go first? Who am I helping first? What am I doing? Right, exactly. So then, it's just a propelling cycle that just goes. Yeah, you all, see this overwhelming. That's also a great example of how mental becomes physical. Oh, absolutely. Like before this happened, you know, I had no understanding of how your mind can just make your physical body feel. Yep. You know, feel things, feel sick, start your heart racing. 
you know, gives you, it also helped give me a better insight into what my father went through with his depression. You know, his battle with depression was a few years long and it wasn't, you know, for the time it happened, he was pretty open about it. Like he had been inpatient, you know, he had tried different things. He was trying medication. Was it really only a few years though, or had he dealt with it at a different level that he didn't understand until he got to a certain point? Right. That I don't know because I don't have, you know, those kind of insights, unfortunately. Right. Okay. I wasn't How sure old? if he shared that with you beforehand. And obviously nah. if you lived in a different place. It's hard to, to actually see that day to day. Right. Right. How old was your father? He was 42. That's one of the more surreal things for me is when I hit 42, I'm like, wow, yeah. you know, now I'm going on 50. And yet in my mind, I always, you know, think of him as being older than me. I think of him as being this, you know, older, wiser figure. Yeah. Wow. I've outlived him by almost eight years now. Wow. Can I just ask, like, because you just hit on that. How does that feel to you? Like, does that bring up anxiety to you that you've lived like past your dad? Or does it does it give you a sense of does it give you a sense of peace in a way that you've managed to survive those bad days? It kind of does. There was a period where, you know, because, you know, as a kid, you kind of want to grow up to be like your parents, to be like your dad. That's kind of a role model. So there was a period in my life where I was kind of scared of that. You know, I was scared of growing up to be like my dad because my dad died by suicide. So hitting those kind of milestones kind of, you know, gave me some, okay, you know, it is dealable. It's something that can be handled. You know, if he had been alive now where there were better treatments, maybe he'd still be with us. So it's kind of gives you some peace. You know, it's surreal in the sense that you're like, wow, I certainly don't feel like someone who's about to be 50 in a few months. <clears throat> Excuse my morning dry throat here. That's all right. You're just w- we're, we're all just waking up, man. Dan, Dan, if I can ask you a, a question, hard question, maybe. Yeah. Um, you in the beginning, you had talked how you sought out AFSP. Did you yourself have any kind of ideations? I was never really had a lot of suicidal ideations. Uh, You know, when my depression would just make me feel like I didn't want to do anything. But during the anxiety, it wasn't so much that I was suicidal. I just didn't believe I'd be alive. Like I thought for sure I was going to die. You know, I uh, just felt that way. Like most of the time when I'm depressed, I get so depressed that it's just like, yeah, I don't even have the energy to have suicidal ideations if it's really bad. You know, I struggle with just basic stuff. You know, like I tell people, you'll see it like sometimes I get really messy. And it's because like, you know, putting that piece of laundry in the hamper seems like, you know, an insurmountable task. It's like, oh, my God, how can I possibly do that? It's like, pick that up and put it over there. That's crazy. You know, (laughs) and that's where it kind of gets in. You know, I get stuck in my head with time. Like I'll have all this time in the world and stuff to do. But for some reason, I think that I have no time, you know, and I'll just kind of freeze. Like it'll get me to the point where I just freeze myself. Instead of trying to knock things off, I'll do nothing. Good old anxiety. Anxiety. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I can. It's like I I tell people sometimes like depression is that voice in your head. You know, there's a voice in your head saying, hey, you're not good enough to do this. You'll never accomplish anything. You're just a failure. You know, you'll never live up to expectations. And then there's that other little voice in your head that's your anxiety and says, yeah, you know what? Everybody else can see it, too. Yeah. The gremlins. Oh, yeah. The gremlins. Yeah. Failure that rings, the, failure yeah, rings out in all the chords, man. Yeah. It yes. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where it's at. It's like I totally can understand that. I relate to that because I that frees it. Like it's very easy to get overwhelmed, but it's very easy to have that overwhelm just freeze your ass to the seat. Oh yeah. Instead of just being like, all right, I'll knock off the little things on this list. You're like, wait, no, I, and then you just don't do anything. That is another perfect, perfect example of the whole, uh, you know, logical mind, emotional mind. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, I even tell people when you talk about my dad's suicide, the logical versus emotional, you know, as a, having gone through all this and know the research and worked with folks, you know, there's that part of me that knows like my dad was suffering from depression. He battled with it. He, you know, fought the good fight, but it just eventually the fight he lost, you know, but then there's the emotional part of me that's still just a 19 year old kid who just wants his dad back. Yeah. 
Sure. You know, so there's always that struggle with that kind of loss that people, you know, it's different than other kinds of loss. There's a blame. There's a, you know, even though it is a disease, it's getting people past that to be able to see that, hey, this wasn't something they didn't fight. Like people don't see the fight when people die from a suicide. They tend to only see the ending, you know, and they don't realize that they did fight. You know, my dad clawed and scratched to stay alive. It just eventually the fight got to be too much. Well said. Well said. Do you Thank feel you. that you've got that you got stuck anywhere in that time that you lost all those those couple of decades that it took you to acknowledge? Do you feel like you lost a moment where that hit you when you were like 19? Because you, <clears throat> you feel like you just want to be, you know, have your dad back. But do you feel yeah. that you lost a couple of decades of time in there just trying to stuff it down where it's right it's hard to say you know i'm always one of those people who tries to live in the now and the future you know because i think you can get stuck in the whys and the what happened so much so you know ultimately yeah i didn't deal with it well but at the end of the day that's on me uh you know it probably did cost me some relationships some friendships that changed over time you know and i definitely think i lost certain parts of me you know i became a much more jaded person through the sure. whole How course could you of not? things. Oh uh, yeah, became, I was just, yeah. Just about to say, if you if you go through something like that and don't, then that's oh yeah, yeah, that's like an anomaly, man. Right. So I try to avoid getting stuck in the hey, who would I have been? You know, sometimes I joke around with people. I wonder who I would have been if things had gone to plan. You know, if things had gone the way you planned it out, uh, who would I have been? You know, I'm happy with who I am at the end result. Like I can look in the mirror at the man I grew into, you know, and think that my dad would be proud, know that I'm proud of who I am, you know, and I know myself at this point. So if changing anything along the path would have changed the end result, no, I wouldn't go back and necessarily change it. Yeah, I, 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 I concur. Like as much yeah. as, as much as your past can be a, a battle to deal with, you it does make you who you are it's like you're you're the struggles that you come through give you the strength to face the future oh absolutely and people always want to it's easy to romanticize that if you change one certain thing everything comes out roses at the end you know and you come out <laughs> right. on top changing that one certain thing could have made everything so 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 much worse Absolutely. Oh, and could have been 10 times worse than it, <clears throat> right. it turned out to be. Yeah. Like, you know, you could have ended up, my dad doesn't die by suicide. We end up taking a vacation somewhere on a plane. That plane crashes. You know, sure. people don't ever look at it that way. There's so many variables that, you know, you just kind of have to live with what you have and understand you don't get a do over. You know, and I've told people sometimes, you know, no matter how much you might want it to be, tomorrow is never going to be yesterday. And tomorrow's not guaranteed either, so. Right, it's kind of a one-way trip we're on. You know, you don't get to get do-overs for pretty much anything. That's right, you only get to come through the turnstile once, man. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Enjoy the moments that are right in front of you. Exactly, like, you know, and I think that's what you see when you work with folks who've lost someone to suicide is it's so easy for some people to get stuck in the wise. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's, if you can get past that, don't let yourself go back. How, you know, for you, in your opinion, how would you help somebody get past that to not to not get stuck in between the whys and the and the what ifs? Yeah, it's just kind of understanding, you know, that everything was going to change no matter what. You know what I mean? Like I said, tomorrow is never going to be the same as it is today. This is something you dealt with. You're not going to necessarily get the answers and even if you could even if you could ask that person who was in a suicidal crisis you know what they thought and why they were doing it they couldn't give you a rational answer you know they couldn't necessarily verbalize what it was it's just understanding that they were in a tremendous amount of pain for whatever reason and needed it to end you know it's hard you know i don't like to tell people what to do you know i'll tell people what helped me you know, and for me, it's sometimes when you're in those moments, just kind of shortening your expectations. You know, people try to see the end of the road. Well, don't start with the end of the road. Try to see that first mile marker up ahead. 
you know, set your goals to something that's achievable, something that's attainable. You know, Will knows I've been through a lot of uh, orthopedic surgeries in my lifetime, having some athletic injuries. And at different times, I've torn both my Achilles tendons. You know, one when I was in my early 30s and one when I was in my mid 40s. And when I did the one in my mid 40s, knowing how painful and how difficult the rehab was, I just, you know, that's one of the more depressed moments in my life where, you know, if you look at a screenshot of that, like, I don't think I've ever been lower. And I sat on our bed here with my significant other. And I told her, I said, Kim, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can go through this again. And, you know, it's kind of, thankfully I had her here to support me too, but it's like, yeah, you don't have a choice. You have to, you know, so you get up to the surgery after the surgery, you know, those first few days are pretty intense pain. You know, it's not like I'm trying to see my way past those. I'm just trying to see my way to the next hour. You know, it's like, Hey, make it through this show you're watching. You know, that's a goal, you know, and then over the few days it becomes, okay, now let's make it through the next day. Okay. Now let's get up and use the crutches and move around. You know, so the same, I think, is true of any kind of traumatic event. Just shorten your expectations, see yourself through to the next minute, you know, then make that minute five, you know, get it to where it's an hour, to a day, to a week, a year, you know, and just always try to keep yourself moving forward. I love well it. said. That's, that's some that's some great wisdom there. So now that you've come through this, what have you, not just what have you learned, but what are you doing to to help people along the lines now of with, with what you've learned. Yeah. I think, you know, for me with AFSP, one of the big things I like to think about is, okay, when I was 19, I was so resistant to getting help. You know, how do I reach that 19 year old me today and help those guys, those men realize that it's okay to talk about this stuff. You know, I think we've gotten better, but we still have a long way to go. For me, I think a lot when people hear suicide prevention, you know, your mind immediately goes to that person who's in crisis that person who's showing suicidal ideation, you know, who needs the crisis hotline. And absolutely, we need to be there for those people. We need to help those folks. But suicide prevention starts with everyone who's in a safe place. Yeah, you know, it starts sure, like yes. every other kind of prevention. When you talk cancer prevention, you're not talking about trying to catch the people who are in stage four. You know, no, you're trying to catch folks before it becomes life threatening. Or, yeah, or, awesome, or just to prevent it in the first place. Right. right. I think right. that's what we have to do with mental health is get to the point where oh, I still see my counselor when things are going well. It's just something that I think we need to get to the point where there's at least one mental wellness visit a year covered, just like your physical is covered by your insurance sure. and there's no copay. We should have the same thing for mental health. We need to break down those barriers to where it's okay to talk about it. it's okay for people to not be okay you know and to understand that okay let's talk about things that could become an issue before they become an issue yes that's the thing it's not not even necessarily it's okay to not be okay but it's okay to just talk about it when you are okay <clears throat> oh yeah exactly you know what i mean yeah. like like you were saying like the the prevention side of it is what you know and will and i both have have talked numerous times about this and and it's always like i always go back to the the routine maintenance on your vehicle, Yep. you know, and it's the same thing. It's like you, you, you neglect your vehicle. You don't change the oil. You, you know, you can let it right. run out of gas. You know, you don't check the tires, all that stuff. And you could get stranded on a highway alone in the dark, man. It's not, it's not going to end up good. Right. Exactly. I work in facilities management now. And that's one of the fans, you know, we change the belts on the fan at a given time, not necessarily based on if it looks like it's worn. Right. There you go. But that's how long they say it should last. Okay. Well, let's not push it till it breaks. I think we need to get to the point where we have better diagnostic tools. You know, there's so many things that go into depression, anxiety, thoughts of suicide. You know, there's things that happen to you physically. There's things that happen to you mentally and there's things that happen to you emotionally. You know, and I lost a classmate not too long ago who had been a professional football player to suicide, you know, and after his autopsy, obviously they were able to learn he had CTE that can't be properly diagnosed in a living person. I I don't know what that is. If you could just, it's all right. And it's one of those ones that's tough for me to say, because I don't do well with the TH sound sometimes that's chronic traumatic encephalopathy. encephalopathy, I think that's how you pronounce it. 
Yeah, it comes from repeated concussions and damage, you know, and among other things, it does a wow. lot of folks end up with suicidal ideation. No yeah, kidding. football players, yep. soccer players are finding it a lot in soccer players now. Yeah. Also, because you're, he- you're heading the ball, you're headbutting each other when you go up to head for a ball, you get kicked in the head. Yep. Yeah, and, then, and it leaves d- lasting damp boxers. A lot of fighters have it. And I think you'll find that as we get older and, and you see MMA fighters and boxers, if you could study those, their brains, I'm sure you would find it in there too. So, you know, finding ways to identify that and finding ways to treat it, you know, we don't really understand as much as we need to about the brain. I think it's the last, you know, real great discovery left medically is how to treat things like that. Now, are you on any medicine? For your, do you have a diagnosis of anything? Me, such as, yeah, such uh, anxiety, as anxiety, depression. Yeah. Okay, so and you and do I'm have on, anxiety, and depression. I don't know how to say. I think it's a similar, the, the generic Lexapro, so oh, talopram, okay. maybe if I said it right. Yeah, uh, uh, lazapram, maybe. I forget I think what it's, it is. I was I'd on it for a very. Long, I was on Lexapro on the, for a long time. On the CVS reporting, <laughs> I'll save it. I'm on this. Wait, damn it, people. Tell us yeah. about tell us about your work with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and how you got involved with getting into the Na- the National Loss and Healing Council. Yeah. Uh, so, wow, I've been working with them for about a decade now. You know, just, I can't say, I always struggle saying sought them out. Uh, track them down. We'll use track them down. You know, <laughs> went to a few meetings, eventually joined the board. You know, I've been on the board for our local chapter, off the board, back on the board. You know, it's the kind of thing where sometimes you have to step away just to gain some perspective, you know, figure out where you are. Obviously it's something we do as a volunteer. So our lives in general change and what we're going through changes, you know, and you need to make sure you're in the right spot in your life to be proactive and help folks. And then at some point, someone I knew who was on one of the boards nominated me to uh, join the National Loss and Healing Council. You know, and it was a great honor, great opportunity. Uh, happy to do it. Recently within that council, we have subcommittees and I am now co-chairing the subcommittee for our Healing Conversations program, which is to me, one of the best things we offer, especially on the local level. You know, it gives folks who's law- who have lost someone to suicide a chance to talk to someone who has shared that specific loss you know we try to pair them up not just with someone else who is a suicide loss survivor but someone if you've lost a parent you know you might get paired up with me or if you've lost a spouse we try to pair you up with someone who has also lost a spouse so that they really have those yeah it's an amazing program and you can see it really helps folks you know the visits i've been on it just gives them nothing helps sometimes more than understanding and you know, no one's going to have more of that understanding than someone who's traveled a similar path. Yeah. We just talked about that recently. We did, uh, well, one, we did, a uh, we had an episode, um, do it for Johnny where we had parents of, of, a uh, their son uh, lost his life to suicide. And, um, that's one, but then we also talked, uh, I think it was with, with the rock bottom episode, we had talked about, um, you know, we were talking about seeing um, like medical professionals and Will was Will had said, yeah. you know, I, I'd rather talk to somebody who who has been through it, you know, and right. understands. Yeah, the I think the peer to peer thing is I think peer to peer is super important because I think it's very important to have someone who has walked the same walk that you've walked, because I think we can get I, and now granted you need professionals also, but you need the team. Oh, for and sure. I think yeah. that that team. Right that team is, is better than solo individuals. Yes. And, but you also have to recognize that certain members of the team may work better at specific times and that certain members of the team may be good for maintenance, but maybe not be good to go to in case you're having a hard time. Well said. Yeah. Nailed it. Well, nailed it. And I mean, I think it's just big to surround yourself at times as people have empathy for what you're going through. You know, and it seems so hard sometimes, you know, society lately has become (laughs) just (laughs) that's like an emotion that seems to be fading away. You know, and the one thing I was talking about the other day is it's so 
it's so easy to make people mad, you know, to get somebody angry, to get somebody upset, to say something negative. You know, it's so easy. It's like our well, basest th- emotions and we can draw it out. It's so hard to make somebody laugh. And smile. Well, I think it's, uh, you know, I, I, th- I think it goes back to we're all struggling in our own way, you know? Right. And, you know, which again, we've talked about before is being, you know, being the one in five, we're dealing with the weight that we already have. And then on top of that, sometimes we have to deal with carrying a conversation or educating somebody on, um, you know, certain situations or specific topics of maybe how to handle it, you know? So it's like, you know, it's, 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 you know, two o'clock in the afternoon and, and some days you're drained. You have nothing left. Yeah. Boundaries and boundaries are very hard to set if you don't know how to set them. And especially when it comes to having conversations with people. And I find that, and yes, you know what, we're all looking, we, we don't need to look very far to be pissed off at something. I mean, you can see a million things in the world to be pissed off about. But I think sometimes we're also looking for somebody to piss us off just to release something. Right, that, give you permission to let that out. Give you permission out. to let that out. And yeah. I, I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. I don't know if that's a good pressure valve to have. I think right. there's there's better ways to do it. But I also think that some people just, some people haven't gotten far enough along in their journey to even want to be educated. Because right, ignorance is ignorance sometimes for people is bliss but i think if you ignore something too much it just comes back like a hundred pound sledgehammer and bashes you in the head oh yeah definitely during my you know my own journey i've you know because i'm pretty outspoken i raise money you know i'm willing to talk about it i've met some folks who've been like yeah i just don't understand depression and i'm like god bless your heart (laughs) (laughs) You are the luckiest person I've ever met. Yeah, I was just going to say that, you lucky bastard. And I hope you never do. Yeah. Yeah. Bless your soul. Good for you. You You know, and I think that's what the pandemic, unfortunately, has done is expose a lot more people to anxiety and depression and not, you know, because as people, we have this silly notion that we believe we control our environment. You know, and as you take away those controls, that's kind of what really sets off some of the yeah, triggers absolutely. for anxiety. Absolutely. And absolutely. And now you have, you know, thousands upon thousands of people dealing with it. Which, you know, I hate to say it as a, it's a good thing, but it's a good thing in the sense that it brings light. It brings some right. attention to some of this because let's face it, the people like us that um, are trying to um, bring awareness and, 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 talk about these things are people that experience it you know it you know like you don't you're not gonna uh support a trauma unless that trauma happened to you it's good in that and it's good in that sense if you ask me just because it's shedding some light on it and uh people are saying well you know maybe this this thing that that guy talked about is real right. no that mental <laughs> well, health stuff maybe that really is oh, that I, does yeah. happen. I think there's a big natural equalizer going on here because i think mm. what this does prove is is that we are a lot more we are a lot more interrelated, whether we want to ignore it or not. Cause I think a lot of people want to ignore the fact that we, that we're a lot more alike than we are different. And a lot of people want to ignore that. However, I do think that this does open that question to say, well, everything is interrelated, just like with mental health. Obviously your mental health affects your physical health, your physical health affects your mental health. You can't have one. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. And I think we're seeing that in society now where, yeah, sure, we want to narrow our view to just ours. But what we don't what we're doing is, is that you can't because you are more of a a bigger fabric than you want to give credence to. I think that you can't put that genie back in the bottle. Like, and it's time we start facing that. We're a lot more alike and we're a lot and we have a lot more like there's no separation from anything that separation is this fallacy that we live in thank goodness for alan watts because holy cow like that's just because you're it man this, this is it like you're the you're the like you're just preach, a small, brother Paulie, preach you're just a yeah. small part of this that is part right. of the bigger whole and Ooh. regardless of whether you want to ignore the whole you can't because it's gonna you, you need the whole <laughs> 
Who is this Alan Watts you speak of? Should I know this person? Uh, Alan Watts yeah. was a very, very uh, cool, like, 60s uh, spiritual entertainer, he called himself. Oh, okay. Kind but, of a um, philosopher, yeah. He's a philosopher, yeah. yeah he's an ama- was amazing. He died in, I believe he died in 72. I believe he died the year I was born. And, I'd like uh, to be a philosopher, but I've heard it doesn't pay that well. It no. doesn't really pay that well. <laughs> Actually, you have to pay to be a philosopher. So. Right. Yeah. If anybody's looking to hire one, I'm available. <laughs> kind of like being, kind of like being a podcaster. That's right. right. <laughs> Dan Egan, philosopher at large. Yeah, philosopher, podcaster, pretty yeah, much I'll the do same. Parties, thing. bar mitzvahs, whatever you need. <laughs> kind you of like the here, wedding folks. singer. Kind of like the wedding singer. <laughs> uh, what else? So, what else are you doing? What else does the healing conversations program provide? And what else does it do? And what have you taken from that? Yeah, um, I think it's a program that, you know, what it provides is amazing. What we really need to do is market it and get people aware of it. You know, I think we've required, counted on word of mouth and referrals. You know, we need to find ways to let people know that the program's available and that it's out there. Well, what, can you do that right now? How do you let, how do, how do, how do we access this program? Absolutely. And maybe Will will even cut in the little PSA we made. Uh, I have not gotten the, the PSA part of it yet. Oh, I have it. Okay, send it to me. I don't know if I can send it to you. He can post. He can post links uh, in the show notes. Yeah, it's uh, if you go to afsp.org forward slash healing conversations, you can find the contact information to schedule one. You know, it'll or you can find the local coordinator and it'll have phone numbers, etc. Or you can schedule it right online. You know, and the nice part now is it's kind of a good and bad that's come of this is it is we're doing them all virtually right now. So that means, you know, no matter where you're located, we'll be able to pair you up with someone. We used to do them in person with a team of two, uh, but now it's virtual and it's usually just one person doing it, but it is a great, yeah. Like it's definitely helpful. It's helpful for the folks who deliver them. You know, I get a. Sure. I was just about to say that. I was just about to say that. It's just if nice have, to know that sharing what I've been through can actually help a person. Well, I'm sure I can speak for both of Will and I that, uh, you know, if you ever need any help with that, we would be uh, willing to help out. All right. Yeah. And if there are folks listening to this who are interested in becoming a healing conversations, I forget what we call them, but volunteer, you know, the one requirement is obviously you've lost a loved one to suicide, but you have to be, at least two years out from your loss, you know, and then there's an interview and training process to make sure you're a good fit for the program in terms of delivering a healing conversation, you know, because you need to understand how to correctly speak to a loss survivor, you know, and not to trigger things, but to provide help, help, hope and holding space. That's what it's all about. I like that. There you go. I'll have to borrow that if one of these times. Absolutely. Just when the episode comes out, just write it down. Because I'm gonna have to write it down when I go through. I'll make sure I give you. I'll make sure I give you a nickel every time I use it. There we go. (laughs) Dan, I appreciate you being on, man. This has been awesome conversation. Oh, anytime, man. I love it. It's great to talk. You know, as I said, we just need to talk it into existence. That's what Um, we're doing. We uh we always end the conversation with three questions. Uh, the the bookend questions are serious questions, and the middle question is kind of a lighthearted question just because you can't be, you can't take life too seriously all the time. All right. I was watching Jeopardy before I came on. So I'm ready. Yeah. No, there's none of those Jeopardy answers are going to be in this question. I don't what think. What is a, okay. <laughs> Do you have a favorite or least favorite word? Wow. Ah, I've, Jeopardy didn't take care of you, did it? I've made up a lot of words in my lifetime so i'm gonna go with my favorite we'll call it more of a phrase because i made okay. this up a few years back is collaborative synergism Ooh, i like that or another friend of mine well i'll call him more of an acquaintance has worked hard to change the past tense of squeeze to squoze so what would squeeze and squoze be what would squoze be that's the past tense of squeeze yeah like you squoze oh, instead of like squeezed you 
Okay. Yeah, instead of I squeeze the ketchup bottle, I squeeze the ketchup bottle. I like that because it sounds better. It actually right. makes more linguistic sense to me. Wow. I guess my least favorite word again would be a phrase would be committed suicide. Good one. Yeah, we've had lengthy conversations about that. Yeah. If I, we and, could just say died by suicide or I like to say my dad lost his battle with depression. Yeah, and I think that's a better way to, to phrase it actually. Because I think yep. that that legitimizes it more than because we concentrate so much on that final result right as exactly. opposed to the as opposed to what it took to to as opposed mm -hmm. to what was that you fought for life prior to that right exactly because because we really know it's a, a fight for life and i know the answer to this question but i'm going to answer it anyway because i love this question and some people take this question very seriously other people just kind of <laughs> laugh and think it's cute you know i'm a very serious person so <laughs> cat dog or other well i mean that's an easy one for me because i have four cats <laughs> uh, and that's a low point in our cat you know collection level like we're at four right now we've been much higher um i like dogs too but there's so much work man you know you gotta let those things out you, you gotta walk them every day yeah, you, gotta, you know right they are they are a, they are a, a bit of work which is yeah. part of the reason why I don't have one anymore either. Yep. And then, but I, I, what now I got a question for you though, cause you are a cat person. What yep. do those, what do those cats provide you? I mean, as far as they give you that ultimate friend, man, like a pet or a cat dog, whatever you have that friend you can talk to who, you know, these cats or the pets I've had in life have seen me at my best and they see me at my worst. And no matter what I am, they've never judged me, you know, and all they do is provide me with love. Like, and that's all they ask for in return. You know, no matter where I am in life, like they don't really care. They're not going to judge who you are. They're just going to give you what they give you. See, see, Fernando loves you, Timmy. <laughs> ah, Fernando. <laughs> so, all right. So Dan, if there yeah. was, if there was something that you could do, or you would like to see done as a whole for mental health, what would it be? I mean, I think a big one is just to make it more accessible for people, you know? So I think having at least like a mental health physical, like building that, I don't know what it looks like, you know, I don't know what it would involve. I just know that I would like to see it happen. You know, when you go to your physical now, they have like those questions like yeah, I went last yeah. time and they give me this little sheet. It's like, on a scale of one to five, how depressed are you every day? And, and like, we're not at the point, we're at the point where at least they're asking those questions, but I don't really feel like they want the answers. Yeah. I, it, it's you know. funny because to jump into that, I actually had to fill one out at one of my recent doctor's appointments and she left the room. So I actually took a picture of it with my phone because I wanted to bring it home just to look at it yeah. because I'm like thinking to myself, I'm like, yeah. like, dude, this is, you're not asking anything. This is such right. surface bullshit. To, I mean, it's good. Look, it's not bullshit because it's good to ask. Right. But it's, it's, it's so start. surface. It's yep. so surface oriented that it's almost like you don't necessarily want the answer because you don't have an answer except to say, well, do you want medicine? We don't right. have the tool. We don't have the tools to, to do exactly. it. Exactly. We don't have the tools to give people that will help them fight. You know, it's like, it's a service question of, are there days where you find it hard to get up out of bed? Well, yeah, but it doesn't ask the second question. Do you still get up out of bed? <laughs> you know, right. Right. <clears throat> like, yeah, there's having the feelings and then there's, are you at the point where you need something else to help you fight those feelings? You know, and this is what the something else is, you know? Yeah. Again, like, I think we just need to get there on the medical side, you know, and the same with medications. Like you'll see warnings on a lot of medications that apparently we know that medication can put thoughts of suicide into someone's head. I shouldn't say we know that, but it appears to be something that, and it's not necessarily on antidepressants. You know, it's been warnings on multiple different types of medicine. So logically speaking, you know, if we know if that is possible to happen, well, then the inverse should also be possible. You know, we should be able to find something that helps curb those suicidal ideations <laughs> you, and get people through think. those. You, you would, would think, think. right? Well, you would think that, you would I also think, think the, though, with so much, with so much, work that goes into these medicines that they would have figured out a compound that would not bring those things on. 
Yeah, or, I just think it comes back to the not understanding brain chemistry. You yeah, know, I think it's different for each person. It's hard to really to 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 negate the whole thing. But I think right. I think more or less I think we should try and focus more on, you know, yeah, hair. Here's medication, and I, I'm not against medication. I take medication, but at the same time, you need to to do other things besides medication. Right. There, and there's understand- a whole yeah. There's a whole plan in place, you know, like if you were to go to the gym, you know, people go to the gym and they eat right. They do certain workouts for certain things and they, you know, they just live more of a healthy lifestyle. But when it comes to mental health, we don't, you know, it's like, you know, it's the same thing with the the whole pandemic. It's like, all we do is say, here, wear a mask. It's like, no, why don't we concentrate on maybe building our immune systems, you know, getting better sleep, eating better. No one talks about that. And I, I really don't know why it's, it's right. goddamn annoying is really what it is, because that is such a huge factor. Like we talk about the, this medication and how, you know, these uh, pharmaceutical companies and government get involved and they don't really narrow down or improve anything. They don't nothing's really evolving. And the right. foods that the foods that we eat, some of the foods that we eat is actually foreign to our guts. You know, and so oh yeah, the, and again, we don't understand what reaction that has to the brain chemistry. And, well, you I mean, know, your your serotonin is made in the gut, so if you're right. eating shitty foods, guess what's going to happen? And I'll use kind of the cancer one too. Imagine you went to a doctor to get treated for cancer, and they said, "Here, take this, and then come back and tell me how it makes you feel." You yeah. know, we don't have the diagnostic tool to say, "Okay, you have this type of this is what's causing your depression." this is what's needed to treat it, you know? And if it's from an injury, well, is medication really, you know, we don't understand nearly enough. Like we don't have the diagnostic tools. It's all trial and error. I feel like at times it's hit or miss. It's like, take this anti-anxiety medicine. Did it work? No. Okay. We'll switch to this one. Which I can understand that to a certain degree, but at this stage of the game, we should be a little bit further along. Exactly. Like, how come there's no test we can take to be like, oh, I see this chemical is this level. Da, 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 da. Right. I think there is they there is something when they can draw blood and, and okay. for, for, for your specific per you know, for that specific person. But again, the question I'm not is sure. though, is that covered by insurance? Because again, we're right. there's 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 things out there like Dr. Eamon has that scan that he can do those scans, those spec scans. But spec scans aren't covered by oh, sure a lot of insurance and they're, right. and they're super expensive and they're yeah. not accessible to everybody. Right. Well, so no, but at the same time, he could also make them more accessible and less expensive. You know, well, I, I agree. But in, and again, that's that's true. You could you could open it up to everybody. But do you really want to open it up to everybody because you're not going to make as much money? That's and that's the and that's the right. thing about where. Well, you know, I mean, I mean, if you're if you open it up to everybody less than the money and try and get more insurance to cover it, you might not be making that much less money because more people are going to be apt to do it. You know, well, I, like, I yeah, agree. You know, I agree. And, it, and again, if, if you if you have the integrity to get get up on screen and get on these social media platforms and say, this is what works, this is what will work. And then don't fucking do anything to help, really then I got a problem with that. Like if you have, if you have the integrity to stand up and say, this will help. And yes, you've done the research. And yes, for me, in my eyes, what I am hearing, yes, this will help. But now you have somebody that can't afford it. Well, right. so then what, what do you do next? It's like, you're going to stand yep. there and you're in your millions and millions of dollars in your jets and your fancy cars and your four homes and say, you know what? I want more money. You know what? Fuck you. That's what I say to that shit. Wait, I didn't know I could swear during this thing. Oh, yeah, I didn't. Oh, Damn sorry. it, Tim. Why did you do that? <laughs> yeah, no, there's no editing here, man. This is. This I, is... I just, you know what? It's just, I'm on, I'm on a kick now. I just see all these people. Oh, yeah. No. The mental health community and they fly in on their jets. Yep. And they, they tell you what, you know, they think that you want to hear. And then they leave and people, I mean, eat it up. You know, they've got, you know, right. millions and millions of subscribers. And it's like, dude, that's not really what it's about. You know what I mean? You can take as many fancy pictures of yourself and post it on mental health awareness and it has nothing to do with mental health awareness. Not a goddamn thing. It's like people want the easy answer. They want the, oh, if you do these two things, you're going to be happy with your life. They want a magic pill for for everything. And and unfortunately, especially when it comes to this stuff, there's no magic pill. 
Because right. again, it's a, you know, again, when you, and I, look, I'm not against med- medication at all. I've been on mm-hmm. and off of it for a long time, but I'm not on it right now. I, I can see it's, I see it's benefits, but I also see what long-term use does to someone because my mother is like, right. like she's been on this medicine for, for going on 50 years, man. If not, yep. you know what I mean? So it's like, I see what the long-term effects yeah, are there, of this. There's gotta be, there's gotta be positive long-term effects as well. Well, there, I'm sure that there is, but you know. you're constantly like when something doesn't work and you have to throw something else at it to see if it works that you like, again, I don't think we yeah. look at it long-term enough to say sure, these sure. combinations work as opposed to these. Oh, and, right. Yeah. And, and again, now there comes to be a personal responsibility in that yeah. because obviously you do owe it to yourself to to maybe if you are going to take that journey of medication and you know that you're struggling and you know that certain things help, but a doctor suggests a change, then maybe you need to say, well, this has been working. Why do we need to change it? What, what are right. you seeing that, that mm-hmm. I'm not because I'm okay, but you want to change it. Do you yep. want to change it because you're going to get another 35 cents from the pharmaceutical company? <laughs> there you get- go. Well, I, and I'm and, I, and it's and I'm not coming down like I, I'm no, not coming from the from the yeah. side of of bashing anybody because again, but again, they will all tell you we don't know what's going on. We're just gonna we're just gonna throw shit. Oh at yeah, it and see if it sticks. We're gonna right. throw spaghetti at the wall and see how many strands of spaghetti we can get. And see what kind of pretty pictures we make. And again, that's sauce. a big spaghetti. part. Is I think the research <laughs> into mental health is incredibly underfunded. Oh, yeah. absolutely. absolutely. Bingo, bingo. Yeah, bingo. you look at the millions and millions of dollars we spend on cancer research and it's made a difference. You know, if you go back to, I always go to the Jim Valvano speech in sports. Oh, yeah. And listen to what he said about the fact that at that time, and again, they're all important things to spend money on. At the time, Jim Valvano gave a speech, more money went into AIDS research than went into cancer research. And look at if you make that moment the point in time, and then look at the change in the money spent, and the change in the outcomes, and the change in the results. Right. You know, it shows well, you that I, that matters. Awesome, well, Dan, dude. That was a great conversation, a great healing conversation. All Thank right, you. way to get the the buzzwords in there. I appreciate it. Tim. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're gonna get buzzwords in, man. We can. Yeah. Put them all in. And we I appreciate you in. both. And Tim, if you ever wanna, you know do more with AFSP, you know where to find me and Will. Yes, I do. I do. I always, I, I, I just try to uh, support, support it in, in supporting Will because I know what he does. He does a lot of stuff for it. And, and uh, you know, so I try to support him in that. Yeah. I'll always, I'll always have a place. I'll, and I'll always be involved in one way or another, whether I'm on the board or whether I'm not, I'll always be involved just because it's something that I think is important. It's in and our I, blood, well. Really, and I really enjoy doing it, and I I enjoy a lot of the people that I that I come in contact with all the time. So, right, Dan, thanks, dude. Be well. Be safe. Be above. above. If you've lost someone to suicide, you may feel overwhelmed by grief, confusion, or even anger, but you are not alone. The American Foundation for Suicide Prevention offers support in the weeks and months following a suicide. The Healing Conversations program gives those who have lost someone to suicide the opportunity to talk with a caring volunteer. Having experienced suicide loss themselves, our volunteers know firsthand the emotions associated with this type of loss. They can offer comfort and guidance, as well as community resources that may be useful on the path ahead. Healing Conversations are available in person, on the phone, or by video chat. To learn more about the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and how to schedule your own healing conversation, please visit afsp.org forward slash healing conversations.